Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. The unofficial start of summer has arrived, and whether you call it May 2-4, the May long weekend, or Victoria Day, I think we can all agree we are in the mood for barbecues, gardening, meeting with friends, and warmer weather. So no matter where you're tuning in from this weekend, I'm sending you wishes for a relaxing and restorative weekend especially when you hear what my first guest has to share. Andrea Gunraj from the Canadian Women's Foundation joins me to share details from a survey they did that shows that just over two years into the pandemic, almost half of mothers are at their breaking point, and two in five mothers have had to put their career on the back burner. Overworked, overwhelmed, and undervalued, mental health is suffering and the pandemic's burdens are even greater for those experiencing poverty, discrimination, and gender-based violence. Anne Brody shares her thoughts today on the return of the summer blockbuster, plus the second Downton Abbey movie set in 1929, which brings in some old Hollywood glam. She also has details on the new FX documentary about Elon Musk, plus much more can't-miss entertainment. Every day in Ontario, we lose 175 acres of farmland, which begs the question, where are we going to grow our food if we continue at this rate? Peggy Breckfeld, president of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, joins me to discuss why we must preserve and protect our farmland now to support the production of local foods, fibers, fuels, and flowers for generations to come. The Canadian Skin Patient Alliance has launched a new tool called Is My Prescription Covered? This free and interactive drug coverage finder allows Canadians to answer a series of yes or no questions to find out whether the medication that has been prescribed to them is covered. Rachel Mannion, executive director of CSPA, joins me to share how their drug coverage finder was designed so that anyone in Canada with any health condition can check to see if they're eligible for coverage. Being an, an inclusive business leader isn't just about crafting the perfect social post that makes people feel good. It's about building inclusion into your processes, taking a stand, and truly doing good. But what does that look like, and where do you start? Alison Tedford joins me to share details from her new book, Stay Woke, Not Broke, that guides business leaders to amplify what matters most to them so they can drop performative and embrace transformative. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. So the moral of this story is, who are you to judge? There's only one true judge and that's God. So chill and let my father do his job. I am sharper than a razor. Eyes made lasers. Bolder than the truth. They won't. Despite changes to pandemic-related protections, the Canadian Women's Foundation's latest survey suggests circumstances have not improved for caregivers. Moms are disproportionately being impacted, especially when it comes to their health and careers. Andrea Gunraj is Vice President of Public Engagement at Canadian Women's Foundation. She has 20 years of experience in community-based program development and communications and a passion for innovative public education and nonprofit leadership for social change. She joins me now to share some of the disturbing findings from their most recent survey. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thanks for having me. So this survey builds on a poll that you did last year, is that correct? That's right. Last year, we really realized about the gendered pandemic um, impacts that we had to do a little bit by way of fact-finding. And it was important for us to look at what mothers and uh, women-identified caregivers were going through because we knew in so many ways that the pandemic was, was impacting them in a very special way. And we really thought that we weren't listening enough to them, that nobody was listening enough to what they were going through, even do, though we knew that there was a gendered pandemic um, impact to think about. So for us, it was really important to ask them, you know, how do you feel? What What is the, the thing that's making you most stressed out, more, most nervous? What are you worried about? How is your life changing? And we found, of course, last year that there were significant 
um, impacts for mothers and caregivers. This year, we did that same kind of research again. We wanted to ask women in Canada what they were going through, if they were mothers, if they were caregivers. That could be, of course, of you know young kids, but it could also be of the adults in their lives who need caregiving. And we found that in this stage of the pandemic, 44% of mothers have reached their breaking point period. And almost half of moms are reaching their breaking point. So when you add those two numbers together, it's literally everybody is either at their breaking point or reaching their breaking point. And it means structurally we have to do some changes to better support the caregivers, take care of the carers in this moment. When I hear you say that, I mean, I, 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 mean, I feel it. I, I think most women feel this to some degree right now. But what does that mean? What does that look like that they're at their breaking point? I think, um, you know, that's just an umbrella statement. We can see what it is when we break down and specifically ask. And moms told us that they're really concerned about their physical health, 67%. And this year, that 67%, last year was 55 So you can see it went up, that concern about physical health. And three in five moms said they were concerned about their emotional well-being and their mental health at 67 and 62% accordingly. I think it's really important to notice as well, too, that um, this has a real economic impact as well. It's, it's health and it's interrelated with everything else, right? If you don't have health, you don't have anything. Two in five moms, that's about 37%, say they put their career on the back burner to be able to manage home and caregiving responsibilities. So think about what that means. It means that women are putting aside their paid work because their unpaid work is just over the top, too much for them to do. And, um, you know, this is also significant as well, too. 47% of moms told us it's exhausting to balance work and child care responsibility at the same time. What does this mean in terms of relationships? Well, think about that and think about the fact that more moms than dads are doing work in their than their spouse when it comes to caregiving. And so we're seeing that moms are doing so much more by way of managing people's schedules at home, trying to address education needs, trying to address um, things like school closures and, and managing support for kids while they're sick. Um, so I think that there's, you know, a buildup here in terms of people are reaching their breaking points. It's impacting their paid work. They're doing so much unpaid work that they can't afford to do paid work. And then they're over the top, stressed out at home, and they're still doing the majority of work at home, caregiving, home care responsibilities and they're not getting the support from their spouses in this case fathers are not providing the support the, the way that they need to and of course you know fathers are stretched in their own ways too so there's a structural issue it's not just people are unwilling to do the work is that the work is too much yeah there's just been some absolutely impossible decisions put in front of most people during this pandemic it's it is exhausting i mean we're <laughs> i just can't emphasize this enough we're all feeling it so how do we move forward what what are some solutions you know i think there's a couple of things i always tell people when we hear these kinds of things that can feel so overwhelming i think it's important to just break it down think about what you can do in your own life is there a caregiver, a mom, a woman-identified caregiver in your life you see is stressed out? And you might have a little bit of bandwidth to support them. Maybe they live in your own home. Maybe you're seeing a mom in your home, own home struggling. What can you do to pitch in? What can you do as an adult in the home, as a kid in the home, to make the load lighten up a little bit? Those little things can mean a big difference for somebody who's struggling right now. Maybe it's a friend or a family member who you could cook a meal for to support them one day a week. Think about those things in your own lives. That makes a difference. In a bigger way as well, too, I, I think there's so much evidence to show that women are not only caregivers at home, they tend to do more caregiving work in their communities and in their workplaces. At work, are women taking on the responsibilities in terms of like diversity and inclusion initiatives, staff socials and celebrations? Can you pitch in to support them? Is it the same people over and over again? It often is. I think about in your faith community, are you seeing people arrange dinners and supporting people who are in the community who need help? Can you pitch in as well too? 
there's those things that we can do that helps lighten the load for somebody who just feels overwhelmed in all spheres of their lives. It tends to be women, it tends to be women identified people. And then the other thing I think about, how are we holding our leaders accountable? There are structures, structural changes that need to happen. Things like child care plan. We know a child care plan is coming, but like, is it going to be meeting the need? That's a question. Um, we know that there's certain things announced that may be helpful. When are they going to come? Are they going to be what we need them to be? Let's hold our leaders accountable. Let's vote accordingly. And let's make sure that we hold them accountable all along the way, because this is more than 50% of the population. And frankly, it's 100% of the population who will benefit from the changes. So tell me then, how can women um, work with the Canadian Women's Foundation? How do you help? Well, you know, our work is to support women and girls and two-spirit trans and non-binary people to move out of poverty, out of violence, and into confidence and leadership. One of the key ways that we do this is granting to communities who do this programming in local communities all over the country. They're the direct line to people who are most vulnerable. So if you have the ability to give a donation towards these programs, do that at CanadianWomen.org. Your even just $5, $10 makes a big difference to these grants because these grants have to happen over the years and we have to make sure that they're still there even after the pandemic, these programs are happening. That's one thing. The second thing, of course, is follow us, get on our mailing list, keep just coming along with us because we do things like policy reform initiatives. We try to ask people to sign petitions. We try to ask people to raise awareness about things like gender-based violence that is bumped up in the pandemic. We all have to be a part of the solution here. So again, go to CanadianWomen.org. You'll find all the links. You'll be able to sign up to our newsletter. Like get in touch with this cloud of tireless people who support us because we need you all along the way and we need you now more than ever. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I, I can't help but think how much content we absorb in a day. Just, it's it's nonstop. It's impossible to keep up. And, you know, you need to go to a place, a trusted place to get the the news and the education uh, about women's issues right now, because we are, it feels like we're really under attack. <laughs> uh, we've seen our, role, our rights rolled back. Uh, we're not getting relief. I, I read an article, I believe it, it might have actually been from you guys on CTV about, uh, you know, that on Mother's Day, 50% of moms just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> we're so tired. <laughs> so, uh, you know, of course, we're exhausted. So I hope you continue to do your great work and get this message out. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, but if you could just share your website and social channels so people can connect with you, I'd appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. CanadianWomen.org is our website. It is a great opportunity for people to find information, just like the basic good facts that you need to know, as well as an opportunity for you to take action in your life. And I would also say that it's important for us to follow on social media. I know a lot of people are on Facebook. You can find us at Canadian Women's Foundation. You can also follow us on Twitter, CDNWomenFDN. There's other social media that we're on, but I, those are the two that are really key for me because I think it allows us to uh, get the information to you and tell you really succinctly how you can continue to support, sign this, follow this, read this. So please, um, yeah, just just be alongside us. I don't think this is ever an effort that is just one organization. And because we have so many great partners and grantees out there that are doing good work that we're supporting, you can support them all by getting in touch with us and following us. Incredible. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, I know the calendar hasn't switched over to summer yet, but it certainly feels like it. What do you think for the summer blockbuster season? Are we going to get one of those? Yes. Yes, we are. And proof is um, with uh, Doctor Strange. It did phenomenally well, um, despite poor reviews. And I think we're sort of semi-back to normal. Tom Cruise, uh, Top Gun, Mavericks coming up soon. I think there will be a, a, 
And meanwhile, the streamers are suffering, which I hate to see because they have been our rocks of late and they're, they've been so creative and so out of the box. So I just hope things balance out and people get back to business in the way that they do the best. So, yay. Well, I have to tell you, if there's what, if there's one movie that could pull me back into a theater, it will be Top Gun. And if they don't recreate the volleyball scene, I'm going to cry. Well, you know, Candace, the last thing I would do is sit in a theater crammed with people. I, I, I would take the risk for, for Tom Cruise in Top Gun. It's one of my favorite movies. You just wear one huge mask, a body mask, okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so tell me what you got this week, though. Downton Abbey, yay! Now that oh, I would love I, that. Yes, I did see that in the theater, but there were only maybe 20 of us, so that was pretty cool. And they're in 1929 now. Um, I, I don't want to give anything away, but it's such a huge part of it. Hollywood comes calling. They want to shoot in Downton Abbey. So this is, this is the last film, the first film, i.e. the one that was out a couple of years ago, was about the royal visit. This is about the Hollywood visiting, and it just puts everyone on edge. It makes a star in one person, and it's just so satisfying. And, you know, the thing about this one in particular is Julian Follows really crams his stuff in. It's almost hand-spinning, the number of plot twists. It's like every time two people meet, it's something like, oh, <gasps> kind of exhausting. But the beauty of it is still there. And that's why we go to it. The way people speak and act and behave themselves and they dress so beautifully. You know, this whole fantasy of, of what life has been for some people, maybe or maybe not. Um, and uh, I think also, too, that I would really recommend that if people want to see it and they haven't seen either the show or the other movie to get up to speed because it's very self-referential, obviously. So, you know, I loved it. It was good fun. Good fun. I, I, I can't wait to see it, actually. Just I, I'm a big fan of Downton Abbey. Uh, okay, what else do you have for us? Jennifer Bashewell's Into the Weeds is finally opening. I know we teased it a couple of weeks ago, and the interview is, is up now on the website. Um, she is one of Canada's leading documentari documentarians, and she went after Monsanto and Bear in a very sort of hidden way because she was concerned for her safety and her crew's safety. Because these are the people that put out Roundup that, that is completely uh, cancer-causing. The company says, oh, no, it's so safe you can drink it. But we follow one guy who leads a class-action lawsuit um, who has terminal cancer because he was a landscaper using Roundup. It's one of the most powerful documentaries this year. And uh, so I would really encourage people to see it. It's in theaters. Tell me what you got next. Oh, I don't know how you feel about Elon Musk. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I got to tell you, I am absolutely not a fan. Yeah, same here. And I think he's understanding this because he's, he's pulled away from the Twitter offer. Um, but the FX, along with uh, the New York Times, has put together a documentary on him and the self-driving car, and it's called Elon Musk's Crash Course. The thing is, he says all the problems have been solved with the Tesla. Um, he completely negates the deaths and injuries that have happened over the past few years, and experts say it, it will be decades before we get a, an autonomous car. And yet he's saying it's solved, and it's, we've, we've licked it. So, you know, to have this guy running space programs, and social media sites. It's very frightening. And his ex-employees speak up about his sleight of hand and the way he gets people sort of on his side by speaking this uh, strange sci-fi language and making promises that he can never keep. Uh, it just floored me. Just floored me. So there we go. <laughs> okay, we've got time for one more then. Uh, do you want to tell me about Night Sky? Yes, we've got two awesome actors, J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek. And they play an elderly couple verging on dementia who live in a little, you know, tiny house in a little tiny village somewhere. Um, and they have very ordinary lives, except at night, <laughs> they go into their woodshed, they go down a tunnel, through a long walkway underground and into a theater. 
And from this theater, they can view the galaxy. It's just incredible. Wow. They kept it secret for decades. It's been there the whole time they've lived there. And there's tons of complications. The granddaughter wants them to move out because of their cognitive problems. Um, meanwhile, cut to Argentina, a woman living in a remote farm with her daughter has a chapel on the property. And she also has a door to the galaxy in the chapel. It's just so creative and mystical and authentic. But the best part is that it's led by Sissy Spacek and J.K. Simmons, two of the greatest actors around. And that's on Prime Video. Okay. Just awesome. Amazing. All right. Well, for those who don't want to hit the theaters, that's available at home. So, <laughs> Anne, thank you so much. And, of course, you always have uh, more than what we just talked about on the show weekly at whatshesaidtalk.com in your regular column. And we'll see you again next week. See you next week, Candace. So don't forget all us little folks And when you crash and burn, remember we told you so Where our food comes from matters, especially when that food comes from Ontario farms. Our food security relies on a strong agricultural sector that can get food from the farm to your dinner table without the hassle of international travel, trade disputes, or unforeseen events like I don't know, a global pandemic, shutting down cross-border travel. And that underscores one unalienable truth. You cannot farm without farmland. Peggy Breckfeld is the president of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, which represents over 38,000 farm families across Ontario. She farms in northern Ontario with her husband and family near Thunder Bay, and she joins me now to discuss how the homegrown campaign has evolved from advocacy into a broader awareness campaign to highlight the importance of preserving farmland to support the production of local foods, fibers, fuels, and flowers. Welcome to What She Said, Peggy. Great to be here, Candice. So, I mean, this is a huge issue. We're seeing farmland disappearing all over the place. Uh, is this part of what you're, you're trying to stop? Yeah, between the last two censuses that we have official data from, we were losing 175 acres a day to development. And uh, what that looks like is 133 football fields or um, a huge amount of carrots. I mean, you just think about that football field and what you could grow there. Um, we can do a lot of things inside of containers or under glass. We grow some great tomatoes and cucumbers and things, microgreens, but Really, uh, the wheat, that is the toast on your table in the morning, and the jam, the strawberries that grow, those things are so often grown in fields, and so we need to protect farmland. So there's, there's obviously, you know, um, people will say, well, people have to live somewhere. So how do we, how do we address this? Well, I, I think you bring up a great point, and that is we often think this is just a rural issue, but it isn't. It's a bigger uh, solution. And the solution often comes from urban areas doing great land use planning. You know, cities actually were normally built around places where there was water, uh, good arable land and shelter. And so they were naturally near the farming communities. Um, but as we grow a city, we have to look at great options like building in and up, building complete communities and renewing and reviewing those uh, urban footprints so that we use that land to the best of its ability, so people have great places to live and walkable communities, and we protect the very food that is going to be on their plate. And food is going to be a major issue in the coming uh, decades with climate change. And so is this something that you speak to as well? Certainly. Uh, as farmers, we feel climate change quite regularly and certainly extreme weather events. And so we know the importance of um, having a great uh, and healthy agricultural community. We need to grow. So some of it is going to be in research. What's the best plants can, that can do drought resistant, et cetera. But beyond that, it's a conversation about how uh, we grow food for the world. Um, the best food is grown in Ontario. I recommend you reach out and 
have a glass of milk or uh, taste the pickles that somebody has made or uh, even even mushrooms, such a, such a earthy taste there. I think there's um, so much variety and excitement about what Ontario grows and you can access it locally. Right. And then, you know, of course, there's the whole issue as well as, you know, it's concerning when you're transporting goods, you know, obviously from miles and miles and miles away to get to your table. Uh, so what's next then for, for you? Well, what we started with was actually talking with farmers. And then, you know, at some point that it has to be bigger conversation than that. And so we've been engaging through the homegrown campaign to really have that conversation about um, citizens that don't live in rural Ontario that can make a difference. Uh, we started with a, a goal of 10,000 signatures, and we are over 31,000 signatures right now in one year. Um, the number keeps growing of people who are engaged in the conversation of how do you ensure that farms are viable? You buy local food. How do you ensure that um, farmland is protected? You make great land use plans and strategic building. Okay. Peggy, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this is incredibly important uh, topic and 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 um, movement that you've started here. So I want people to be able to connect with you and follow along, keep up with all your good work. So where can they do that? Well, you can certainly start the conversation at homegrown.ca. And if you ever have questions about agriculture and farming and rural life, don't be afraid to reach out on our website to ofa.on.ca. It's a great place to uh, have those safe conversations. And if we can't help you, we know people that can. <laughs> yeah. And this is my favorite time of year, Peggy, because this is when all the great food in Ontario really starts to come forward. So I am excited about the summer season. Uh, so thanks so much for joining me today. Great to talk. Not bad for a girl going nowhere. Not bad for a girl going nowhere. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Canadian Skin Patient Alliance is Canada's go-to resource for information regarding conditions that affect skin, hair, and nails. A national nonprofit organization, their mission is to promote skin health and improve quality of life. Rachel Mannon is the Executive Director of the Canadian Association of Psoriasis Patients and the Canadian Skin Patient Alliance. Drawing on her background as a lawyer and consultant, Rachel brings a strategic and creative approach to advocating for better patient care. She joins me now to share details on their new Is My Prescription Covered tool available to Canadians now. Welcome to what she said, Rachel. Thanks very much, Candice. So tell me, what is the is my prescription covered tool. So this is a free tool that's available on our website, canadianskin.ca. And uh, the, the purpose of the tool is to help people figure out by answering a series of yes or no questions, whether the medication that's been prescribed to them is covered for them. All right. So wh why, why the need for the tool then? You, you mentioned it's complicated, but um, obviously you, you're filling a gap here. We are. So our organization is 15 years old. The Canadian Skin Patient Alliance is 15 years old. And we have heard over over the years from countless individuals who have come to us saying, you know, I've been prescribed this specific medication and I can't afford it. So how am I supposed to get this covered? Uh, and so we work with them on a one to one basis in order to help them figure out uh, whether there is either a plan that's available to them that they, they weren't aware of or how to maybe locate some, uh, some private plan, a private plan that might be that might fit for them um, so that they can afford these treatments. Um, it's really, you know, accessing medications is really vital for people's health. And, and, and that includes their mental health, quite frankly, Candace. Um, and so, the, but the way that, that medication access is structured in Canada is not very straightforward. There are all kinds of inequities in the system. And it, it can depend on where you live in the country. It can depend on how old you are. 
whether you're part of sort of a special population. So here in Ontario, um, kids that are under 25 or kids and youth, I should say, that are under 25 and don't have access to private coverage or are, are covered by the provincial health care or by the provincial drug plan. So um, that's one of those sort of examples of, of do you fall into a special category where maybe these drugs are, are actually going to be covered for you? Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, everything through the pandemic became so complicated. I can't imagine that it made this process any easier. Um, so, I mean, you've, you've, you've mentioned a lot of this, but I mean, this tool is going to improve healthcare for Canadians uh, coast to coast, right? That's our hope. That's our hope with it, Candace. Okay. Yes. So how do people access it and use it then? So right now it, it's just a module on our website. So if people want to go to canadianskin.ca, they'll see it up in the top right corner, um, a little link to something called Is My Prescription Covered, which is the name of our tool. And all they have to do is click on that. They get some information about how the tool works so that they kind of have a sense of what to expect as they work through it. Uh, but, but really what it, all it does is ask yes or no questions. Um, and so, uh, you know, they don't have to give us their name. They don't have to tell us where they live. They don't have to tell us what they're, what kind of condition they're living with or what medication it is. We really set this up to be a, a portal to this kind of information. And, um, these, these, these plans kind of fit together or don't fit together in a real sort of a patchwork way. So what we did is we, we worked and to lay out all of that on the back end. And we just formulated it um, through, as I mentioned, yes or no questions. So, you know, do you live here? Are you this age? These kinds of yes or no questions. And people can just continue to click on through until they find something that, uh, that resonates for them. And then what it does, what our tool does is it points people right to the source, right to that drug plan, for example, that that they might be eligible for. Um, and then they can look up on that on that website. So the website for the drug plan, they can look up what is the medication and they can look up uh, whether it's whether it would be covered for them. Um, so we know that uh the, the actual drug plans keep these websites very, very well updated. Um, and so there's no lag of information on our part, um, but it's sort of like a, you can think of it like a concierge service. You can think of it as a portal. You can think of it as a, a tool. And there, there are all kinds of different ways to describe it. But really our goal, Candice, is to help people get to this information so that they can get the medications that they need and they can get on with their lives. So I'm sitting here listening to this and I would like you to take over a lot of things. Can you help people find family <laughs> doctors, uh, you know, waiting times in emergency rooms? I mean, this is really brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping you'll just expand on this. You're absolutely right. I mean, the healthcare system is is very complex. And in Canada, we think of it as a healthcare system, but really it's a, it's a whole bunch of systems. Um, and there's an interlay or an interplay, I should say, between public and private and and accessing uh, primary care uh, providers is a really big issue in this country, Candace. Absolutely. And especially for people who live with skin, hair and nail disorders, they often really have to uh, be referred to a dermatologist or some kind of specialty care. And if you don't have access to a GP, you're not going to get that, be able to get that referral. So we know that there are a lot of issues with the healthcare system and accessing care. And this was sort of one of our big um, keystone pieces to helping people access medications. But accessing care, you're absolutely right, is huge. And it's really on our radar. It's something we're going to be looking at next. All right. Well, I, I'm, I'm totally in on that. Uh, so this is obviously skin, hair and nails. That's that's your, you know, uh, purview. But is that is that all the tool covers or are there other things people can access there? That's a great question. It's actually built for everybody. It was. It took just as many resources and it took just as much um, uh, analysis to build this tool for everybody. So whether you have um, a neuromuscular condition, you live with arthritis, you live with any kind of, of, of condition or, or disease, this tool can help you. Um, we know we know that there are actually over three thousand skin, hair, and nail conditions. We know that they are there are skin cancers. There's over a thousand rare skin diseases. They're inflammatory skin conditions. So our world touches a lot of of the healthcare system and of of these different kinds of drug programs. So we just built it for everybody. We thought that was going to be the fastest and easiest, and I think we might have been right, even though that seems counterintuitive. I really. I really love that, actually, that you you brought in everybody and thought of everybody and not just, you know, who you may be assisting. That's brilliant. Uh, so what is the, you know, 
Have people been responding? Has there been a lot of use of it yet? Yes, there has been. And and because we don't ask folks for um, any of their personal details, we really are, are only able to monitor sort of how people are moving through the tool generally. So we can't monitor how a single individual moves through the tool, but we, we are noticing that there's a lot of interest. Um, and because we built it in English and in French, it's actually available. The entire system is available in both languages. Um, we are, we're learning a lot about sort of where people are getting stuck and where they're, where they're leaving, where they're sort of exiting the tool in order to go to that specific drug plan and, and do their own uh, research about their specific prescription. So um, it's, it's fascinating. And how long has it been, has it been since it's launched? It's been just over a month, probably about six weeks that we've launched it. Um, but it's up there. It's not going anywhere. Um, and we will be re reviewing the policies and stuff that inform how this is set up. We'll be reviewing them quarterly, uh, but we can make changes anytime if anything big comes around. So we're trying, we're striving to keep it as updated as possible with our, our small team. Well, I am excited to see where you take this, actually. Uh, it's, it is quite brilliant. Uh, so I want people to be able to find it, obviously, to access it, share it with friends and family. So where can they go? And oh, I, have to, I do have one other question before we get to that. Is this an app at all? No, it's just on our website. So you don't okay. have to download anything. Um, you don't need a smartphone, any of that. And you can use it in a public library. Like it's very accessible. All right, excellent. Okay, so then where can people find it then and, and share it or use it themselves? So if they would like to go to our website in English, it's canadianskin.ca and they'll find up in the top right hand corner um, is my prescription covered. They'll find it from any page on our website and our website in French is apropos.ca and you'll also find uh, mon ordonnance et elle couverte in the top right corner um, and it's, it's the system is identical in both languages. So we're really trying to make this as available as possible. Incredible. This is amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel. Thank you very much for having me. My next guest wants you to drop performative and choose transformative. Being an inclusive business leader isn't just about crafting the perfect social post that makes people feel good. It's about building inclusion into your processes, taking a stand and truly doing good. But what does that look like and where do you start? Alison Tedford tells us in her new groundbreaking breaking business book, Stay Woke, Not Broke, and joins me now to discuss. Welcome back to what she said, Allison. Thanks so much for having me, Candice. You are busy. You just uh, released a book not too long ago. Now you've got the second one out. Uh, I have no idea how you're doing it all, but this is a, a, a great uh, guidebook for businesses who are struggling to keep up with all of the holidays, events, uh, causes, activism out there. So. Um, why is it important to have a plan when it comes to this? Uh, the reality is, is that there is a lot going out on in the world and we have to be able to share our values and, um, advance the issues that matter to us in a sustainable way, in a way that isn't just jumping from one thing to the next. So people know that we're committed to the things that we care about. And so people really know where we stand and we can be consistent in our messaging. So is it important that a business hones in on maybe a couple of important um, things that are that value that they value or or do you think they should be at least acknowledging sort of everything? How do, what what's your what's your thoughts on that? I think it's important to make decisions around what kinds of things that you want to focus on and how you want to deal with things um, in a, on a case-by-case -case basis in a lot of ways, but also generally if there's specific areas that you want to be paying attention to, to set things up so that's something that continues. Sometimes when we're really reactionary to headlines, we, you know, we might miss some of the important stories or the important things that are impacting um, either our clients or our employees, because that's really what's at the heart of this. It isn't just like, um, you know, being relevant. It's about being situationally aware 
to the environment and the issues that affect the people in your world, whether those are your staff or your customers or your audience members, and being able to tune in and have appropriate conversations in those times and to continue to uh, build a relationship around those shared values with your audience. How, what would you say to a business that, you know, I mean, I remember when the war in, in Ukraine broke out, a lot of businesses were struggling how to address that. So is it is it better to not address it if you're not sure or or to at least um, acknowledge it somehow uh, that you that you're supportive? What, what's your advice there? I think if you're supportive, then it's something that's important to know. But it's also good to do more than just say that you care about something, but actually point to what does that look like? Does it mean that you are donating to a cause that is supportive? Does it mean that you are going to open pathways for people in affected areas to come and work for you? Are you making your product available to people for free or a discounted rate if it's something that will help in the situation? So more than just like, I care about this thing, it's I care about this thing and I'm doing something about it and it's something that is actually going to be helpful and that you've thought through um, what it is that people who are already doing the work in the area need and and how can you support something that's established and going to make a difference. And that's really the difference, isn't it, then, between performative and transformative. Performative is throwing up a pretty Instagram picture and never thinking about it again. Well, for sure. And then when people look back, they think, oh, well, there was that week where, where things looked aesthetically slightly different. And what actually has changed and knowing this person cares about this thing, how does that impact what my experience is going to be as a customer in that business? How does that relate to how I'm being served? How does that relate to the people who serve me, how they're being treated, right? Like how is that brand message reflected in the brand experience? And how can those be internally consistent so that we are authentic to what we care about and that it is getting lived out in our business and the way we treat people? So does Stay Woke Not Broke then provide people with um, actionable steps they can take to to define that plan for their business? Yeah, it takes you through um, making an effective diversity statement, what kinds of things should be included, what kinds of things you should consider in your content planning. Um, what kinds of things you should consider if you're moderating an online community, whether that's in your social media channels, if you've got a, a group for your business, if you deliver services in a group format online, and just looking at like, if you care about these things around equity, these are some other factors to consider that can help you bake that into all of your processes so that that value gets lived out, not just in your social feed, but also in your social interactions and your work interactions with your people. I really feel like that a lot of people are listening to this thinking, uh, I really need this because it would actually give them some relief to have a defined plan when it comes to these situations. So I want people to be able to find your book and obviously follow along with you. You are always hustling. Holy cow, Allison, you're busy. So let's tell people where to get your book and where to follow you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So my book is available anywhere books are sold. You can find it on Amazon or at your local independent bookstore. My website is alisontedford.com. You can find me on Instagram at alisontedford or on Twitter at Ali Spins. Okay. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Thank Allison. Thank you so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. is joining us now with an interview with one of the amazing cast members from the new Downton Abbey movie. 
enjoy. Raquel, welcome to Toronto. Thank you. I love your storyline. Actually, Downton Abbey New Era is packed with storylines. It is. It is isn't it? so yeah. it's full to the brim of things happening to all the characters, more than usual. But one of my favorite storylines is yours because oh. it is something that gives women agency, number one, and it's just so happy. Um, can you talk about it? I mean, I can. I'd be interested to hear what you mean by giving women agency, specifically in her storyline. What do you mean by that? That she makes the move. Okay. Do you see that? Because I think my, my feeling is that she's very much a woman of her time and that she is happy to live in this exquisite longing and continue to be his lifelong friend and companion from a distance if that's what he needs. I think if she were a little more uh, emancipated, a little, you know, been born a little bit later, I think she probably would have gently steered him to that ending sooner. So I'm surprised to hear that actually. Um, I think when he actually speaks to her, though she definitely says, if we're gonna talk about it, I'm gonna tell you the truth. And in that moment, she says, you know, call me Phyllis, I would have taken it. But I think in that moment, she's also thinking he's not gonna ask her. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it, anyway. it struck me that way. And I thought it was so powerful for the, for the times, especially. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's there's also the the uh, segment in which Hollywood comes a calling to the Abbey. Yeah. And and yeah. that is actually directly responsible for your moment. <laughs> so it's a really nice way to, to yeah. pull you into yeah. that. <laughs> how has Raquel uh, Raquel sorry how has Miss Baxter changed over the course of you playing her? She's somebody who's um, who starts incredibly nervous. She's very much down on her luck. And the worst thing about it is it's entirely through her own choices. So the storyline with, with Peter Coyle was, you know, one when she was much younger, when she fell hook, line and sinker, for somebody who used her terribly and, you know, left her life in ruins. So for her to be given a second chance, albeit by Thomas Barrow, who wants to use her again, um, is is it is like a lifeline because otherwise at the time that we meet her you know she would have been destitute she may have had to live in a poor house she may have had to you know I don't think she would have done this but she may have had prostitution as an only recourse so it, it, I mean I think it's difficult uh, to with modern sensibility in our the cultures that we've been brought up in to really see what she's you know what she's faced with at that moment but then of course mr molesley saves um saves her in a way or, or at least pulls out the strength in her to be who she truly is which is honest um accept her uh, her misdemeanors and also have the courage to go and i will change and i can change i think that's one of the magical things about downton abbey the house is that you know because there's so much love and respect between the characters, um, upstairs and downstairs, and between upstairs and downstairs. The lovely thing about how we find her in this film is that, you know, although she's not strident like Daisy uh, or a stick in the mug like Mr. Carson, she, you know, she is. She does say times change and we must change with them. And she's thrilled to be going to France. She's, you know, she's. If she were back watching the filming, she would really enjoy learning about that. So she is. Uh, a woman that, you know, had she been born 10, 20 years later, would have, I think, had her own career. She's, she has the brain for it and the courage yes. for it and all of that. That said, she loves looking after her mistress and I believe that she'll continue to want to do that. Um, you're part of a juggernaut, Downton Abbey, and there, it's an exclusive club. There's not a lot of shows that have gained this kind of popularity it's really a small circle and i wonder if it's changed you and your your life and your work and your outlook i mean i think because i already had a relatively established career um mm -hmm. and 
And because I'm an actor of a certain age, female actor of a certain age, I think it probably hasn't had the impact it would do, would have had had I been a man of this, this age or if I were one of the younger actresses. No. But, um, but then there are so many things that you just don't realise that people, you know, I've, I've been on sets before where you, you know, the director or the costume people and they're like, oh, and, you know, you're bitten down to Abbey and you're like, oh, that has helped me to get here. But I'm not aware of it because I've always been auditioning or, or offered parts, you know, through my life. And I've heard whispers, I think we all have, and we've been waiting to hear them, of a third film. Why not another series so we can watch every week? I know. I, I mean, that very rarely happens, doesn't it? Unless it's many, many years later and all the actors are even older. Um, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I joined halfway through series four and I certainly wasn't ready for it to be over. So I, I'd come back in a, in a heartbeat to whatever you know, format. Um, but I do hope that there's the appetite for another another film because we love coming together and, you know, it's a real treat to, to step into the shoes of each of these characters and to be in such a kind of warm and loving environment, both cast and crew and between the characters. So, you know, and, and Julian never fails to throw challenges our way and, you know, and by dint of kind of the community or our own you know, hidden gifts, as in the case of Mr. Mulsey, that ingredient is something that the, the, the audiences really enjoy watching and living with us. Thank you so much. What a treat to speak to you and best of luck. And I hope you come back in some other form with Downton people. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. Love to talk to you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. The moral of this story is, who are you to judge? There's only one true judge and that's God. So chill and let my father do his job. Previous episodes of What She Said on 105.9theregion.com.